Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right. Welcome, everyone. We have got another special podcast. This is podcast number 102 on the Flow Show. We got Chinkster23, also known as Lee Davey. Lee, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, Jeff. Yourself? Uh, well, well, uh, all things considered, crazy time, of course. It's been uh, sort of getting, it's wearing off a bit. It's gone on for so long, this whole uh, lockdown COVID experience, but definitely uh, been better times. Uh, I think for us, at least overall, it's uh, it's a little different. I mean, we're pretty, with poker, there's a lot it's a lot going on. There's still a lot of online uh, going on, but you cover mostly you know live events. You've been doing tournament reporting for I guess what a decade or more now. You've been you've been doing it a long time. It's been about a decade, yeah, that I've been um, in poker, but I'm, I'm actually just kind of falling out the end of it. <laughs> so you, you've caught you've caught me at an interesting time, actually. Uh, but yeah, definitely a, a decade ago, I thought I would give this a shot. I, I never really believed that it would be permanent. It was more of a stepping stone to creating 1000 Days Sober. Mm-hmm. It's just that stepping stone ended up <laughs> taking a decade, which yeah. I, which is a lesson in there itself, I'm sure. Yeah. So give us a little bit of background. Um, you know, I, I've known you for some time. Uh, you are not a poker player per se. I think you played poker for a while and you've, you've been in poker for a long time. But give us a little background on w- what got you into poker and give me sort of, I guess, you know, dec- two decades in the the rail railway industry, if you would, if I explain about a little bit of that. So give me a little background on yourself for those that are just joining us. Okay. So I was um, born in Manchester in England, in the UK, one of uh, four kids, all sisters, all younger than me. And I lived there until I was about 10. Uh, and then I moved to South Wales, the Welsh Valley is the land of Tom Jones and Shirley Bassey and Anthony Hopkins and that kind of thing. Okay. And I learned that my father was not my uh, biological father when I was eight. So I learned that my biological father was uh, Chinese. So I'm half Chinese. And then when I moved to the UK, when I moved to Wales from England, and that was when life got tough you know, being called a chink and a gook and all this kind of stuff. And also there's a real kind of like uh, hatred between uh, the Welsh and the English. Not so much the English and the Welsh, but there's that as well. So it was really difficult growing up there. And I dived into football or soccer, as some people call it. And that was what I was, uh, that was what I was good at. And that's how I made friends. And that's that, you know, living in Ogmore Vale in Wales, that's where I found drinking. It was just um, a real ubiquitous uh, thing that everybody did. It was a rite of passage from boyhood to manhood. And I left school at 16. I didn't even stick around to find out my exam results. I just wanted to earn money so I could drink because I was I was playing senior football uh, when I was 14 illegally. And then I was um, getting into it more when I was 16. So I was I was 14, 15, hanging around with people in their 20s, 30s and 40s and going out drinking all the time. Okay. And then I just got lucky, Jeff, right? I left school with no qualifications. A friend of mine broke his arm. He worked in a kitchen factory making kitchens. He broke his arm and said, go and ask him if you can take my place until I get better. So you know, there I was sanding wood and that kind of stuff and earning 31 pounds a week. Okay. And I, f- I thought that was all the money in the world. And then I went back into school to get my exam results. And the careers officer said to me, 
hey, you know, do you want to fancy trying out for this railway trainee? This is back in the old British rail days before privatization. So I went for it, got it, and then they upped my income to £78 a week. By this time, I think I'm loaded. Right. And I spent the next 20 years um, – I actually had 19 jobs in 19 years on the railway. Wow. I got I got to um, two positions before CEO. I worked for a company, a German company called Deutsche Bahn, uh, DB Schenker. It was known there. And it was during the latter part of my time with the railway, around 2007, 2008, when the world was going through the economic crisis, we were really struggling on the railway because people weren't buying steel. And we had to start laying a lot of people off and making a lot of uh, changes in the railway. Um, and that's when things got really bad. So, like, I started to get death threats. We had um, a lot of issues with strikes and pickets. And because we lived in such a small area, I would, I was getting women chasing me around the supermarket, wanting to batter me because I'd laid their husband off, you know. Wow. I remember – I remember being in Specsavers, this um, optician, such a tiny little waiting room, and there was two people in there that I just laid off with their families. Wow. So it was really difficult, and it was about that time that I'd stopped drinking, and I learned the power of education for the first time because I'd always really been anti-education up to that point because education to me was just school, and I hated school. I hated being controlled. I hated being told what to do. And then I read, read this book by this guy called Alan Carr, and he's like, you know, you can stop drinking if you want to. And uh, I felt at the time that alcohol was destroying my marriage. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stop drinking. And uh, I'd already read his book 10 years earlier to stop smoking um, and stop smoking as well. So I knew that it was going to work. It did. I stopped drinking. And then by this time, I had £30,000 in credit card debt through gambling addiction. Oh, wow. So I stopped that at the same time that I stopped um, drinking, with the exception of playing poker. But then I, I put an extra three and a half grand on a credit card to join the Jack Canfield Success Principles Life Coaching course. And then that changed my life then. You know, they, they really got me to see that um, – you know, this small town mentality that I had was really uh, damaging to me, you know, and like staying in a job that was that was causing me so much pain and suffering just for money was not worth it. So I then formulated a plan to create 1000 Days Sober and poker would be that vehicle. And throughout the, la the next 10 years, I loved poker, got so much value out of it for sure, but it became a new railway. So um here I am now, ten years later, and it's become a little bit like the railway for me. I'm in a, I'm in a place where I want to serve it differently. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so that was, I mean, how did you though? Give me how you segued into doing what you did into poker. So you, you had, you had some addictions. You, you smoked, you drank, you gambled, and then you are now doing decades within the rail system. And and, and how did you kind of say, okay, I'm going to do reporting, or were you, uh, what, and what was your level of play? What, what, what kind of uh, ability did you have? Because I did see a, a reference that after Black Friday, you know, you thought your your win rate went down a lot. The games got harder. Uh, I believe you said something along those lines. So you were were you actually making a living playing poker primarily for a while? Okay. Um, looking back in hindsight of what happened, I think for sure there was a massive element of getting into poker for me that avoided me growing up. 
avoided me making hard decisions. Think about it. You're on the railway, you're working there for 19 years. You can literally go in there with your eyes closed, put your feet up on the desk and you know it, right? You, you're a railway man. You've done it for 20 years. But now you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something else, right? But everything else other than railway feels terrifying and scary, and I'm not vulnerable enough to do that. But, hey, every Thursday night I go to the pub and I lose myself in this game, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a 20-pound 20, uh, 20 rebuy, right? The winner's going to get, like, I don't know, maybe a grand, right? And then after that, though, it's like Charlie Chocolate's you know, fact, Willy Wonka's factory opens up, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the the DC 1-1. So we're playing, Jeff. We're playing 1-1 and we're right. coming out of there winning or losing four grand, right? Mm. Now, to put that in perspective, that's how much money I was bringing home after pension and all this kind of stuff in my railway work, right? So, and I remember once there was this guy, he was like the local drug dealer. He was called Terry, Terry the Run Welsh. We always have to keep stopping the game because people were coming in to buy weed off him, right? But right. They, they wouldn't come in and ask him for weed. They'd come in and they'd hang around the table and they'd go, uh, Terry, uh, got any green paint? And Terry would go, let's just got to go out and get some green paint. And he, whenever he played, he just had stacks and stacks of five-pound notes, Right. You know, and I once said to him, Terry, are you going to do this forever? And he was like, oh, no, I don't need any money. Like, he, he made all his money selling weed, and he was just like, you know, he was a professional poker player that didn't know he was. So um, we were playing in this game, and it was uh, – I, I loved it, and we had this good bond. It was called the Ogmore – we called it the Ogmore Poker Tour. And um, that – I think Terry it was. We were le- leaving there at like 5, 6 in the morning going straight to work, and it was Terry that said, why don't you just do it? like full-time wouldn't it be great if you did it full-time so then as i'm going through this hatred of the railway but i'm also learning from jack canfield that literally i can do anything that i want to do if i put my mind to it that's the course this 3500 course yeah 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 so then i'm like oh, fuck it you know let's try and be a professional poker player so you know i i spoke to my wife and i said what she didn't like it obviously so i said what if i go into the railway I ask if I can leave. They'll give me one year's salary. We're looking at like 45 grand, right? Um, plus, plus I'll get like six months of gardening leave. What if I give myself a year to try, be, try to be a professional poker player? Um, she said, what does that look like? I said, well, if I could earn $45,000, that was all my target was. If I could earn $45,000, I won't go back to work. If I, if I can't do that, I'll go back to work. And she said, okay. I'd already secured myself a job with Chorus or Tata Steel, so I already knew I had somewhere to go, and um, I went at it. But as I was formulating my plan, because I was working with this life coach, so I was getting kind of stuck into it quite deep, I got worried that I wouldn't be able to make the money through just poker, Jeff, because I knew I, knew I was swingy, right? So then I said I changed my goal to through poker, not just purely poker. That's how I got into the writing. But we'll get into that in a minute. Like where where was I at my level of my game? Um, my fundamental theory of how poker should be played was completely and utterly flawed. <laughs> so whenever I talk to and I've interviewed like you know a lot of poker players over the years, it always comes back to the way we think about the game. And you can always tell when you talk to someone whether they they understand the game or not. I didn't understand the game. So so I was a punter, right? I was a punter. I was a punter with some raw talent. So I won a mini F tops. I won a 10 K online. Like I, I was a winner in the live cash game that I was playing in, 
But looking back, there's no way I could have been a pro unless I really got under the tutelage of somebody and really did it. Like right now, if I was to say to myself, like, okay, I've got such a great network of people, I would have more of a chance now of of knowing what the hell I was doing than I was back then, right? So I was just punting. But what was pushing me forward was the the dread of going back to a nine-to-five. Because if you've left school at 16 and your job is now a nine-to-five or on the railway, it's like nine-to-fucking-nine, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got a boss, you've got an overlord, you've got no control, you have to literally do what you're told, right? If you've had that all your life and then one day you wake up the next morning and you're like, I don't have to go to work. I, I don't have any responsibilities. Do you know what I, I like in that day, that, I, that morning I woke up with no railway? This is going to sound odd to people. It reminds me of the day that I woke up when I was divorced and I'd been chucked out of my house. So there's all the sorrow and the pain and the loss of my ex-wife and the fact that I'm no longer living with my son. But there was this almost like tranquility around my my responsibilities have changed forever right right and then and then when you when you slip into that mode of like oh i'm just think i'm just going to you know fire up eight tables on full tilt and play some cash games and i'm going to go uh, play a live game tonight what a life compared to like people threatening your life on the railway or your managing director ringing you up and complaining that your trains have not run on time. Like you don't want to go back to that life. Right. So I was like 100% in my head, like I'm going to fucking do this no matter what. Um, so when the writing come up, I jumped into it, even without knowing how to write. I'm like, I'm going to do this because again, it takes me further away from the railway, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I never, I never played in any big games um, I never went anything above like uh, splashing around in two four, but I was just like a one two grinder. That's all I was, and then earning like maybe three four grand playing live, you know. So I could have ticked along, but you know, I never wanted to tick along. I always wanted to create this company, you know. It's really interesting, and I, and I think there's some metaphors with you know poker in, in real life and how you're mentioning sort of this uh, escape or, or way to you know do something different and get away from being controlled or, or have a boss. And I think that's very appealing to many people. Now, can you touch a little bit? You said so. You are you you have you have one child, or you've been married, or you're in divorced, or you're married now, remarried, or or what is your or you're in a you were married one time, or and you have a child. Is that right? <laughs> So I was uh, got married uh, in my early 20s and had a boy. So we were together for about 20 years, me, me and his mom. Uh, my boy Jude is 19 now. He lives in the UK with his mom. And then around, around like eight, nine years ago, I fell in love with um, Liza. And she's my current wife now. And we, we're currently living in LA. And we have a four-year-old daughter called Zia. So I got kids at both ends of the spectrum. Nice. Okay. And, and, uh, so, so this is, uh, so, so this is, you're looking at that moment when, so when you did start trying to do this poker, you were still married at the time or you're saying that was when I was, ma- I was married. I was, when I was trying to be a professional poker player, I was married to my first wife mm-hmm. and it actually said on my divorce papers, all he does is lock himself in his room, gamble, drink and play poker. 
Wow. And how accurate was that? Or is that, is that, that yeah, was spot on. Spot on. Now, do you, do you think that that was that, did that contribute to it? Do you think the poker was, uh, was inevitable that was going to happen? Or do you think that the gambling and said, you said that issue gambling, um, at this point, did you do anything to work on your game? Were you actually like studying or work, you know, just, are we just logging on and playing at this point? Were you really giving it an honest go? I was giving it a go, but I, I was, I was giving it a, I was, look, I was quite smart about it on some degree in as, in as much as, if you re- rewind a bit, actually, <clears throat> when I decided that I was going to create this $45,000 goal, I created a big mind map. Like, how am I going to make this forty-five grand? So there was lots of different ways. And this is, this is to tell you like the gap in my, in my brain cells here on how to play poker. Part of that mind map was I can coach people. But get this, Jeff, I, hadn't, I had, didn't even know what I was doing. Right. Right. But I still signed two clients who were playing in my home game and they were paying me to, to get them up to my level. Right. Right. But I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Right. So that was a way of making some money. Another one was I will write to five editors a day of poker magazines and I will sell them an idea called the Valleys to Vegas. Like how I went from the Valleys to Vegas, how I went from being a railway uh, manager to being a professional poker player. And the first five emails I sent out, a guy called Johnny Wenzel from an old magazine called Poker Pro Europe. He reached out to me and said, I love it. And, I, and I've said this many times. I was like, fuck, I don't even know how to write. Like, like I don't know how to write. So I remember writing an article that night about a fight I'd had on the weekend where I was in bed playing um, some multi-table tournaments online. My wife had been out on the piss she came in with like a chow mein. She's like giving me abuse on the bed because I'm playing poker. I'm trying to fucking concentrate because I'm getting in a bubble. And it kicks off this fucking chow mein all over me. We're fighting and scratching. The fucking laptop goes over. And that was my life back then, right? So I wrote about this. Like, I was like, just pure gonzo style. Like, this is my life. Like, I'm trying to be a professional poker player. And this is what the fuck's going on. And I sent it to Johnny. And Johnny was like, this is fucking magic. Like I want more of it, so right. he 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 created this, uh, you know, from Valley to Vegas in Poker Pro Europe magazine, and I remember when it first came out in W H Smith, which is like a news agent in uh, in the UK. I bought like fifty copies. It's like, what the fuck am I buying these copies? I was so in my own ego. I was so excited as well, Jeff. I was like, Mom, there I am in a fucking magazine. Like I've written something. Like I'm something, and he didn't pay me a dime. Like I think in the year or two that I spent with Poker Pro Europe, they they, they pay me like hundred bucks. So so tell me, explain about that exactly. Was that just sort of a, a way, like you said, to get the, sort of a, a foundation for you to get your name out there to do it? Or was it just not talked about? Like, why would you? So how did that, that relationship work? And, and how it, did you, uh, you come up, come to agree on that situation? Well, for me, like when he said, I can, I'll give you a spread in the magazine, but I can't pay you, but I'll give you a byline. I'm just like, I'm going to take anything that the poker world will give me right now. Again, fear. I'm driven by fear. I didn't want to go back to the railway. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this for nothing. So I did it for nothing. And then my next step then, I reached out to um, – I was in um, the World Series of Poker Europe. I won a seat for a 1K in the World Series of Poker Europe in um, in London when it was back in London. And uh, I was writing about this, you know, like for Poker Pro Europe magazine – and when I was there, I, I saw Barney Boatman. And I remember being there in in, um, in the Empire, seeing all these stars. 
right? Like I sat down on my table and to my immediate right was Chris Ferguson. To my immediate left was John Joanda. David Katai was a couple of seats over and Liv Bury was a couple of seats over. What, what year was this? I can't remember. Was um, it was still going then? Was it like nine or 10 or after, just after? Was it I, I qualified through Betfair, so... Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I can't even remember who won who won uh, the main event. But I'm like I'm like starstruck. Like I'm completely starstruck. And I see Barney Boatman, and I introduce myself to him. And um, because Barney played in the local casinos, Poker Pro Europe was in every Grover casino. So people would just read it right as they were like going about their thing. So I asked Barney, "Can I write for the Hender Mob? Like, can I write for you?" Thinking he's going to pay me, right? Mm-hmm. And then Barney's like, "Sure, yeah, we're not going to pay any money though." So then I was like, how can I fucking do this? So basically I ripped what was in the magazine and I just posted it on Hender Mob because there was no SEO issues because it was a physical magazine. Mm-hmm. And then my life changed then. Somebody reached out to me and said, fuck, we really love your stuff. It it reads to me like uh, Hunter S. Thompson. It's very raw. It's very different. Would you like to write for Bluff magazine? Mm-hmm. We can only pay you 250 pounds an article. And I'm like, I was writing an article in about an hour. So now I'm like 250 pounds an hour. So I'm like, fuck, I'm getting really excited, right? So they said, go to London, meet this guy, Phil Connolly. Um, So I knew going down there, Jeff, that I, I needed to create a series or a couple of series. So what I did is I reached out to Jared Tendler and I said, Jared, you don't know me from Adam, but I'm about to get this. I'm, I'm about to get this big deal with Bluff. Mm-hmm. So if you train me, to be a poker player, then I will give you, I will do a series on how Jared Tendler turns a nobody into a poker player, right? Mm-hmm. So that exchange happened without money, right? And then and then I said to uh, Phil, so I sold Phil on that, and I also sold him on this satirical uh, view on the Ogmo Poker Tour. So this weekly live game that I was playing in, I was like, okay, Let's write about it. So every time I would go and play in this live game, something would happen and the boys would be like, oh, no, this is going in the magazine, isn't it? And I'd be there with my notepad. And that whole tour, that Ogmo Poker tour that I wrote in Bluff Magazine that went on for, you know, many years, like a couple of years, not many years, a couple of years, it literally was, it all happened. Like every story that people would say, this is fucking crazy, it happened. Mm-hmm. And we would go around like Blackpool to the GUKPT and people would be like, oh, fuck, you're the guy who wrote Ogmo Poker tour. Where, how so and so? Because they knew the characters, right? Right. That's so. Cool. That's and cool. then, and then with Bluff going on, um, Barry Carter, who's um, who was uh, he was working for Poker News at the time. He said to me, "Lee, have you ever considered live reporting?" I didn't even know what it was, Jeff. Uh, he said, "Go down to London, speak to um, Gloria, or was it at the time Gloria Balding?" And um, so I just went down there and said i'm lee i didn't know what the fuck i was doing they gave me a, a pen and a notepad uh, and someone looked over my shoulder and they said okay just take take the hand of what's going on and it just happened so fast i just wrote nothing i was like i haven't written anything yeah you know and then john joanda turned around and said to me excuse me can you get me a cup of tea like he he thought like i was uh, like a waiter right. or something yeah. right so that's how i got into live reporting was um through poker news and then everything changed jeff because like they said to me, oh, you did a good job. Can you go to Barcelona next week? Or can you go to Vienna next week? We'll mm-hmm. pay you like 1,500 pounds. Now you can pay the bills. Let me, let me, so I think the most interesting thing uh, with, it sort of replies to anything and, and similar to what I've done with poker and playing and doing Twitch and other things and what you're talking about, you basically 
if you're interested in something or you have a passion, you really can find a way to sort of dive in and get involved. And, and, and you weren't a writer. You didn't have any background in writing. Mm-hmm. You just, no. and, and this kind of transpired. But uh, w- could you give a little bit of the economics on what you do? do you Throughout the decades in poker, are you you've done various different companies doing multiple different things. Are you like contracted? Like, is it by event? Cause you're just kind of getting a mention. They pay you, they pay for your travel. They pay for your stay, pay for you to do live reporting. Like, is this, is this gig by gig where you signed with a specific company for years at a time? Like, how does okay. it work doing freelance and, and how are you able to, is it kind of like you can work as hard as you want? Cause now it's like, all right, well I have 250 an hour. If I do this article now I'm live reporting, you know, like, are they territorial where it's like, all right, you can't do EPTs or like they want you to do stuff or are you able to just go where you want to go? Back in the beginning, it was really difficult because Bluff would give you 250 an article, but you'd only write two articles a month. So you've only got 500 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm look, I'm looking back then in a day, I'm looking to get three or four grand just to pay my bills. And I got 500, okay? But then when someone like Poker News comes along and says, this is what happened with, with Poker News, we're contracted to do the EPT back then. Okay, so this was the, the the first event I did was Vienna went down on the ground and made the final table. Matthias, Michael Isla won the tournament, but it was Daniel never went on an EPT normally, but he was here and he, he was like, you know, he got the final table, right? Um, then this was different. I can't remember how much they were paying me, Jeff, at the time, but it was around 150 bucks a day. And what they would do was they would put you up in a decent hotel um, this is Poker News hiring me now, not Poker Stars, right? Mm-hmm. So they would put you up in a decent hotel, but sometimes you had to share with people, and then it would give you a daily rate, and sometimes it would give you a per DM, or and sometimes there would be food available, right? right? So it was tight. So, but then I was freelance. But what happened was it was a lot of miscommunication, and I thought I was on the EPT doing every stop. And then a stop came along and I didn't go on it. And I was like, oh, oh shit. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I've, I've got, I'm, I need to pay the bills this month. Mm-hmm. And then I was at EBT Barcelona and Tatiana Pasilic said to me, the World Poker Tour are looking for somebody. Um, do you want to do the World Poker Tour? So I was like, yeah, I'll have a go at that. And then I became the World Poker Tour's guy. So I was still freelance. The World Poker Tour allowed me to still work at EPT. That was like what I what I carved out in my negotiation. But I was the World Poker Tour guy. So I would be at every World Poker Tour European stop. Mm. And, and and back then they were really putting a lot of time in. Then and World Poker Tour is different because like we were more on a shoestring budget than the EPT. So I would go in there and I've still got a railway mentality, Jeff. So I would go in there and I'd be like, okay, I'm right in this hand, but I can also take the photograph. So like back then I had like a a real dim view of what a f- photographer's job was. I was like, who gives a fuck about the photograph? Like right. I could take the photograph and I'm better to take because I'm here doing the- So I became like this jack of all trades for WPT, right? Mm-hmm. Probably pissed a load of people off, right? So I'm the jack of all trades for WPT. And then the more I started doing that, the more confident I got about leveraging my rate of pay. So I think at the highest, I got up to 350 a day, $350 a day. Um, working for uh, the WPT, and then, and then it became too much. I was um, I was just working all over the world, either covering the EPT or the WPT. Unibet drafted me in to do stuff, and I was doing Vegas every year, right? And it was just it was just too much. And then I wasn't seeing my son, right. so you know I remember at a time like I just I just put it out to the universe. I was just like, fuck it, someone out like whoever's out there, help me. I need to get out of this. And again, it was Tatiana Pasilic, funny enough. She said, Calvin Air are after a writer, like working from home. 
Mm-hmm. And I cut, um, I think it was like three and a half grand a month, pounds, right? Mm-hmm. So I remember ringing Bill Beattie saying, I want to do this, but I still want to do the some of these. I'm still the WPT's man. I remember Bill saying, oh, it doesn't sound like you're our guy. And put the phone down, you know? And then I chased him up. I said, no, I am your fucking guy, right? I'm the guy. And I begged him to give me the job. And I said, I wouldn't let him down. I told him that actually being on the WPT and the EPT circuit, I would be able to get more interviews and more content for Calvin Air. So I dropped the EPT because the EPT was never the one I I liked from the EPT, WPT. I, I never liked the EPT. So I dropped the EPT and I carried on doing certain stops with the WPT. So I would say through writing alone, I was back then I was able to earn like, you know, like, like six, 7,000 a month, maybe something like that, mm-hmm. you know? And then the more you do it and the more confident you get of your ability, the more you can um, get into bigger projects and charge more money. So for example, like if I work for 888, for example, I would say to them, um, I'll do an article for you, but it's going to be the top 100 books that poker players read, and and it's going to take me a longer time to do it, and I want a grant for it, right? Mm. So you're then able to be in that position. I'm fairly sure that in what I do freelance-wise, um, I'm fairly sure I got to the top of the, the food chain in terms of money, in terms mm. of like how much I was getting, particularly at the live reporting, because I remember talking to some people, like I was getting 350, they were getting like 120, 130. It's interesting you say that because I, I, again, similar to any any business, any craft, I, I think it's, it's super interesting because this I think comes up with a bit of personality and just understanding, but you know, the, how do you feel when that happens? So you're talking to your buddy and like, you know, you're getting paid double what they are. Maybe you're better. Maybe, maybe there's reason for it, but like, you know, that it's probably closer, right? They should be getting more, even if they're like, you know, so it's a little tricky. Cause I see this in streaming and other things and I get shocked by numbers sometimes and, and the, and the differences on things. So, you know, in one way you want to help and you want to do things, but you also, it's like, who's paying you or whatever. So it's a little tricky, right? You're like trying to, you want to yeah. Don't want to like you know you don't want to hurt yourself slash your. Um, it, it depends who it is. It depends okay. who it is. So, for example, um, I won't mention any names, but there was, there was there was this intern that worked with us at Vegas. So he's fresh out of the box, right? But his writing was absolutely incredible. Like he 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 built a picture of a hand. Like you read it and you were captivated by it. And that was what I was into at the time. I didn't want to write a simple story, right? Which is actually what the WPT wanted us to do. The WPT didn't want creativity. They wanted a strict regime of how you did a hand, right? It was too, right? But this guy was amazing. So in one aspect, you think to yourself, wow, this guy's got a lot of talent, but that talent isn't recognized in what we're doing. Mm. So, so he can't, and he's got no history. He's got no name. He's got no, he hasn't built up that trust. So he can't do anything. So it's almost like you have to earn your stripes a little bit and put in the time until you feel confident and comfortable. Now it's obviously part of, I, I know why I, I think why I kept getting hired was because I worked my fucking bollocks off. So to, to the degree that like, like, let's say I'm at like WPT Venice, like everyone's like, slacking around, fucking about, like talking shit, like doing bare minimum possible, moaning and groaning about everything. And then there's a party that everybody's going to go to. I've just got my head down. I'm fucking grinding. I got my head down. I'm grinding. I'm here to work. Like mm-hmm. I didn't drink. I didn't want to be at parties. I didn't want to be around drinkers. So I'm just like, I'm just going to, I'm you, just going to fuck At this point you had stopped drinking, smoking at this port, court portion. Yeah. 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 Smoking, smoking. I, I done before I, 
19 years ago. So smoking way, way before poker. Um, I stopped drinking before I got into the poker industry. So I came into the poker industry sober. Yeah. Okay. And that's, I do, we obviously will spend some time and, and cover that. That's uh, the big thing you're doing with this thousand days sober. It uh, looks like a really nice site. Want to, want to chat more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you, when you did, uh, you did get into the, the interviews and such, like, did, did you find too that same, same thing, the more you were around, you go to the different stops, you get to know players, you get to talk here and there a little, and the next thing you know, you're doing, you know, interviews with some of the, the biggest names in poker. Cause I think with Triton now as well, you've done some, some interviews and, and work with some, some of the biggest high rollers and, and done stuff. So how, how did that progression take place in terms of getting interviews? Did you, was it hard initially and it just became easier or how, how did that kind of work? It was um, right at the beginning beginning when I what, what as soon as as soon as bluff gave me that 250 I then started to say to myself Lee maybe your future here is in writing about poker not playing poker I must have been going through a downswing at a time otherwise I wouldn't have thought that and I, I got my security my family to think about and think about it Jeff my year's coming up so so I made a deal with my wife that if this doesn't work I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go back and I actually didn't make 45 grand in the first year I made I made it in the second year Right. So, so I had to actually convince her to give me some more time. Right. So I was always racing against time. So I'm thinking to myself, fuck, like nobody's paying me any money. Bluff's pay me 250. And the reason that is I look around and there's all these writers who've been in the game for so long. Right. I'm competing against all these kind of giants in the poker industry at the time. And then I thought to myself, so you're always thinking of content, like how can I do something that's different? And then I thought to myself, well, what if I interview people, right? So if I interview people like really, you know, really good players, then that's going to be easier for me because I just got to sit down and interview them. Although I'd never interviewed anyone before, but I think about it. I just got to sit down and interview them. I just got to transcribe that interview and I just got to like send it in. That's easier than thinking about something that's creative. So I remember the first person I reached out to was Dave Devilfish Elliott. And I was like, can I interview you for Poker Pro Magazine? And he's like, fuck yeah, mate. All right, whatever, you know? And he, he, he was my first interview and it was the front page of Poker Pro Europe magazine. And, but I made a really big mistake there. I said it before. I was so new. I interviewed him and I just published it. And then he comes on a phone to me, fucking playing fuck. He's like, I can't believe that this is in there and that's in there. What the fuck? And I'm like, I remember I just said to him, what's your fucking problem? Everyone's glow. Everyone loves it. Right. Right, fucking grow a pair. Like I remember telling him that, and he's like, "Well, I'm never fucking doing an interview with you again." Wait, he because just expected some of the stuff to leave out. That was no, he expected me. Like, like right now, if I did an interview with somebody, I would send it to them for approval. Right mm-hmm. back then, I I didn't know that. I just sent it off and yeah. published it, and there was some private stuff in there that he, he didn't want. But after that, we become you know we become really good friends, you know. But I remember for a while, like worried about bumping into him. But of course, he didn't know me from Adam. Didn't give a shit about me. And my second interview was Lipari, and then and then after that, I just I liked it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed interviewing more than I enjoyed writing. So right. then, when I was on the live tours, the WPTs, your EPTs, Unibets. There, this is before streaming, right? But they're always after content. Like, so people, they would hire live reporters to just live report. And now here I am saying to WPT, oh, well, during the break, I'll interview people. So now I'm live reporting and I'm interviewing people for the same coin, right? So I'm, I'm generating value for them. I'm saying, hey, don't get rid of me. So that's how I started to get older people and do more interviews. And then... It just it just escalated beyond that. I was working for Calvin Air for many many years. Like, what a great 
bunch to work for. Really looked after me and my family, you know? Give, give me give me a bit of the Calvin Air, because that's a name I don't hear as much anymore, but obviously one of the the tycoons, the mega names in poker, right? What he did, what he built, kind of ran off to Costa Rica. You hear some some stories and bits and, and pieces about, you know, uh, sort of think of that runner runner movie, right? Like sort of like he's in Costa Rica and he's got this big setup. What 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 can you tell us about Calvin Air? I mean, the experience sounds like great. They took care of you, paid well all that was it uh did you meet did you talk to him directly what what sort of his do you have anything to say about specifically him and and it was um pretty boring actually i never got to meet the guy um i got occasional emails from from him i every now and then i would get an email with from c um but the emails were always well done or i really like this really like that yeah i never like my communication was always with bill and bill was the the editor-in-chief and um what i liked so I never really got into Calvin Air, never never paid too much time thinking about what he was doing, what he was up to. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever he would come into the news in a negative sense, I would worry, obviously, because, you know, like, you know, I was working for, for his brand. Um, but what I liked about Bill was Bill gave you the creative freedom to make mistakes and backed you when you did. Mm-hmm. So if I so if I wrote an article and everyone was like, wow, this guy's a fucking racist or this guy's a misogynist or this guy's a fucking idiot – um, Bill was all, Bill always backed me. Like when people said to Bill, sack this guy, Bill was like, no, I'm not sacking this guy. This guy's our guy. So Calvin Air was great, great to work for. And then, um, yeah, just one day I got a, I got a call saying, um, would you like to, um, you know, come and work for, for Paul Poir and Triton and that kind of stuff, you know? And, and then that was, uh, that took me into a completely different, <laughs> a completely different world. As you know, you've been there yourself, you know? Oh yeah, I know. I know Paul and Triton well. I've done some some stuff for them, and I was supposed to go to the all the stops this year for commentary for you know London, Montenegro, and obviously very cool places and and fun stuff. And you know you're dealing with uh, a different vibe, right? It's small mm-hmm. in terms of the, the amount of people. The the players there are all world class or very interesting, high net worth individuals. So you're just like it's like the creme de la creme at field day. Uh, give me give me a little bit about how that experience was and, and what was that like for the first time when you went there? Because I mean, like I guess I mean, it's sort of like it is. It's a high roller of the tournaments, but it's also you know, the the most. Uh, they, they obviously you can see it in their production. They don't they pull out all the stops, right? I mean, they're just going all out on everything from reporting to you know the news, the venues, the 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 buy in. The, they just they really do roll out the red carpet. So what was that like? How did that sort of a change for you thing it was um i mean poor poor you know we talked to you about like did i meet calvin air like uh with um that on the try and stops paul is like highly accessible right so you know he's highly accessible he'll go out of his way to talk to you he go out your way to answer your questions and your queries if i want quotes he's there for me you know like he's uh he's very accessible he's a very loving family man and i and i love spending time with him picking his brains right and um like what he's done and what he's set up you know like you know andy wong he doesn't like any um you know, any of the spotlight, but what Andy's set up there, like, you know, with everything that you see, like comes from Andy's work, right? Like, and um, through Paul's, right? So, so Andy and Paul's, um, and then Darren as well, behind the scenes, like that is like, that is like what's making this all work, right? You know, like Paul's like, this is how, he's a director. Like, this is why I want, I'll go do it, right? So the first thing I'll say is the way that they produce poker is like, just, just like world-class, now I'm I'm not a consumer of poker content, so I, I so I'm not the I'm not the guy to say if this is the best, but right. it feels to me like it's right up there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they they brought me in and they were like um again like when you get to a certain level it's the, it's a trust there and it's kind of like what do you want to do and i said I want to do something that's not been done before. Like I want to create an interview series where we really try to understand the human element of the person playing poker. There's a lot of stuff out there about, you know, technical aspects of the game, poker training sites, you know. And I found that like whenever I looked at people's interviewing people, the questions were stale. So there's – and I think that comes from a fear. Like it's like – Sort of a generic blueprint, just like, all right, you got to ask these basic questions. Yeah. Wants to get deep, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's laziness. There's, there's a fear there. I think, I think there's either a fear of being vulnerable and asking a question and being told I'm not answering it. There's also like the vulnerability of asking the question and offending or putting the other person in a bad spot. Mm-hmm. And also, if you are engaging, if you are going to be asking vulnerable questions, you've got to engage from a vulnerable, vulnerable standpoint. So if I if I want to ask you about um, if I want to ask you about some infidelity or something in your life where you've had an affair or something, you know, I, I got to go there. I got to go there myself. Like I got to reveal a part of that in myself, so you can like trust that um, that that you can trust me because I know I know how, I don't know how you feel, but here here I am. Like I'm saying, hey, you know, like um, I did this and I've done that. So I, I think that. Yeah, there's no don't forget there's no training or anything in this, right? Is there? Like, yeah. you know, so and and very often you haven't got a lot of time. Things are changing now with streaming. Um but if you if you just look at like Tom Dwan's recent interview with Nick Shulman, uh Poker Poker King, I think it was. Like I, I watched it yesterday. And here's me, like consuming content. So I'm in the room, like Tom Dwan interview. I'm like, oh wow, that'll be interesting. And then I watch it and I'm like, what a fucking waste of time. What do I want to watch out for? Like, even the questions that people ask. Why are you asking these questions? Like, who gives a fuck? Like, mm-hmm. like do, we don't care. Like, we want to. We want. So I'm like, I need to ask different questions. So Andy was like, "Go for it," you know. And we got Anze producing it. You got the lights. You got everything. And I think the first one I did was Andrew Robo. Mm-hmm. I dragged him in from a cash game. He just played a cash game, like a private cash game. He was really emotional. Like he just had a swingy day. He was like super emotional, and we went at it. And Andrew opened up, like he opened up. I think he cried at one point. Um, he opened up. He was just, and it was a beautiful connection. And it was an amazing interview. And then I think Jason's was the next, or Jason's was first and Andrew's was next. And those two videos really did well, right? Really did well. People liked it. And then I was like, fuck it, let's just do everybody. Let's just do everybody, right? So um, that's what we did. Some work, some don't. And but but when I talk to people behind the scenes on Twitter, you know, which I do a lot now, trying to find people who need help in addictions, you know, it's interesting how people will love interviews that I hate, and they'll hate interviews that I love. Right. So so there's a bit of everything for everyone there, you know. But I'm really proud of it. I think we 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 did a good thing, and I think there's an there's an ability for someone else to take it to another level now, you know, as well. Right. And I, I, I actually, it's interesting. You've mentioned this before. And I, again, I see a lot of 
similarities and such. You you, uh, you were saying like when the first article came out, because I actually wrote some articles for Bluff Magazine as well. And I remember buying a bunch of magazine articles, got one framed and yeah, exciting. You know, I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then like as now, you know, as you do more content, you do more interviews, you do more things and you get more used to it. It's almost like you say, I don't absorb content. Like I don't go back and watch my podcast. I don't go back and watch my streams on Twitch. But like initially it's like so exciting. All you can want to like, you know, have that. Is that, do you feel kind of the same way? Like do you, and, and actually I do review a bit of my work or I do try to like take feedback, but I'm not, you know, I don't go through everything. Like do you read your articles uh, after they come out. Do you watch your interviews when you do someone, will you go and watch it through or no? Or sometimes. I mean, this is a really important point. I think, uh, you know, what I, what I say next will help a lot of people maybe, but right in the beginning when I joined poker, I love poker. Like poker was my was my life, right? So everything I wrote, I would I would read. Every interview I did, I would watch. Um, I loved it so much. Okay, but as I've evolved and grown up, um, I realized that a lot of that behavior comes from the wounded self. It comes from my ego, right? So, um, I if I'm saying to somebody, "Hey, watch this," right? What I've started to do as I've got older is like, why do I want that person to watch this? You know, is this is this uh, for a need of approval? Is this uh, a need for security or a need for control? And in my life, it always came down to approval. So I need this person to approve of me. So I'm yeah. telling him to watch this. Now, this came to a head for me. It was always present throughout my life. But this came to a head for me when I joined Triton. Because think about it, you know, like I'm at EPT or I'm at WPT. And... My, my job is to write about article. Like the, the most uncomfortable thing I have to do there is say, Jeff, um, can can you tell me just what happened if you've got time? Or Jeff, could you give me a, a chip count? I can't really see. Like that's uncomfortable, right? But in in when I'm at I'm high stakes poke, when I'm at Triton, my whole function of being there is to actually go to people like you and say, Jeff, can I can I speak to you and, and interview you, right? right? But but now we're talking like some really big names. We're talking some really big egos. And, and what happens, I felt, was I got myself embroiled in a, in a status thing, right? So um, I read this great book once by Oren Claff. Um, I can't remember what it's called now, but he, he talks about status a lot in terms of um, being persuasive. And he says, there's this thing that people do when they want to put a status move on you. So if I go to you, Jeff, and say, um, Jeff, could I interview you? And you do this, you go, hmm, yeah, get me in the week. That's your status play. Like you're, you're saying to me, you're inferior to me, right? And, I, and I'm reading this and I'm learning this and, I'm, and I've got a real low self-esteem and I fuck it, it's hitting me. I'm like, fuck, like I'm so small right now. Mm-hmm. Like these people are my gods, Right. So for the first couple of years in Triton, um, unless I'm going to somebody I built a connection with and I trust, super uncomfortable going to people I don't know because it is state display and making too many assumptions about why people are doing the things they're doing. But it's all coming from my wounded self. So if I if I put an, uh, uh, an interview out of Dominic Niche and then I read the YouTube comments, I'm reading them to inflate my ego to, to give myself external validation. And then if I see someone go, um, this is fucking shit. Who is the guy with a dodgy mustache? I'm like devastated. Right. So, so in terms of consuming my own material, it was great in the beginning, but then I really distanced myself from poker. I stopped consuming content. 
I was non-existent on Twitter. I didn't want to read it because it was damaging my self-esteem and it was creating anxiety and stress. Now that I've done a lot more work coaching on myself, I can read those things and I'm okay because I don't need the approval from external sources. I've got all my needs met within myself, so it doesn't harm me so much. Now I don't look at it because I don't have the time, right? It's just like, what am I going to do today? Am I going to re-look at my um, – no, I'm not going to look at it. I'm just going to – I'm like – I'm a one-shot Ari. Like, like I'm going to do some photo shoots this weekend for my business. I just want to shoot it in one shot. I don't want to do it fucking 10 times. Right. Like, I, like if, a, if a poker player says to me, oh, we'll do this interview. Can we do revisions later? I'm kind of like, yeah, sure. But there's another aspect of me like, it's unlikely we're going to do that. We're just going to shoot it. We're going to run with it because that's raw, you know, unless it's something, you know, really devastating. So right. that's where I am now. If I was to go to a Triton tour tomorrow, I would – I would be a man dealing with the issues, whereas previously I've been a boy and I'm, right. I'm recognizing that. Well, I have to also say out of all, I think this is my 102nd podcast. You have officially, you have been the most organized and, you know, having like the, you know, sort of Elliot road type stuff too, with the the booking and the podcast, which I, I actually would like to improve a bit on this too. Cause it makes it a lot easier. I think when you start, you know, nowadays there's so many social distractions, there's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, whatever, right. My spit, you have all, whatever, the, any platform, text message, WhatsApp, Skype, there's yeah. so many platforms that can get a bit crazy. Like you start talking to people on multiple things and, and it just, it kind of can consume you. It's sort of, it's nice to have that organizational uh, booking stuff. So, you know, that was uh, interesting. And I think you have it really optimized and, and, and together, which is cool. And, that, and I haven't, not one other person has, other than I guess Elliot, who has a similar type of thing. Where you <laughs> yeah. Go, so you're always, cha- so you're always chasing people, right? Like, yeah. and yeah. then, so yeah, you need to, when, when you're doing that, you really need to be, secure in your own kind of like, you know, self-esteem and everything. So you're not like, cause people would say things to me, like say I sent a poker player a message and then he just didn't respond. So there's not even a, um, Oh Lee got your message, but I'm, I'll respond later or something. Like if they just completely blank you, I would literally be going to people saying, what the fuck? Like that's like talking to somebody and then ignoring you. And then someone would say, yeah, but I bet the guy's really busy. And I'm thinking, I'm busy as fuck. Nobody right. can be as busy as me. And I will answer them. Like you've just put out on Twitter, right? Like ask me, ask me anything for this podcast episode. Okay. And we can go longer than the hour if you need to. Like every single person who posted a question, I will get to at some point. Right. Like I had to hire a community manager in order to, to do it because that integrity is really an issue for me. So if I'm, if I'm dealing with people who are not coming back to me, um, they're ignoring me. They're saying they'll do an interview, but then they don't do it or they disappear. Yes, there's an element of it where you're like, okay, um, they're playing for millions of dollars. There's that, okay? But then there's the other element of it that um, there's an integrity breach there, in my opinion. You know? Yeah, well, it's uh, one of the four agreements, right? You know, you need to be impeccable with your word. And that's a strong, strong statement, impeccable. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you say you do something, you want to do it, you make time, people have busy schedules. And I think that's something, you know, as you now have what, you have two children, I have one child is a year and a half, and you do sort of realize, at least, you know, I'm 34, uh, the, the thing, the time really is what it's all about, right? Because at some mm-hmm. point, you just start saying, okay, am I going to do this article? Am I going to do this stream? Am I going to do this podcast? That's the last time with my son or my significant yeah. other or my friends. And, and at some point, there's also, it seems like, you know, it's a, it's a bit tricky because whatever you're doing, whether it's in the railway or poker or writing or interviewing or doing this business you have, you know, there's always, at a certain point, it's like once you get to a level where you know you're financially sound, 
there's always more though, right? It's never enough. It's like, all right, well, I could be the best. I could have the top this. I could have more of this. I could have more of that. I could make more money. I could do more job, you know? So it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, you know, finding hacks in time and how to save time and organize and do those things just are so valuable because like ultimately, you know, I think that's uh, that that's sort of what we learn as we get older, especially with children. And I think, you know, I, I can at least say that and I, I, mm-hmm. I would add it for you too. It just, you realize time is so precious. It's just so hard to, uh, to find time. I'm in, I'm in a coaching container at the moment. And like, like I've got a lot of great coaches give me a lot of advice on time. You know, one of them is like, you know, Joe Biden has the same amount of time as me and you have, right? Beyonce has the same amount of time as me and you have, right? Like think about the people who truly, Elon Musk has the same amount of time that we have, right? right. So that, that's a really important thing to reflect on. And then the other thing that I, I realized was you do have enough time. Why are you just avoiding the stuff that you need to do? So for example, if I want to, I want to reach a million people and help them overcome their addiction, right? That's what I want to do. But if I'm spending my time doing something else, Right. Why am I why am I doing that? Why why aren't I doing the thing that I need to do? Like why aren't I producing the content? Why aren't I going out there banging on people's doors? So then there's an element of, oh shit, I might want to reach a million people, but there's still some stuff there that I'm not willing to go for. I'm still afraid of a few things. So like I'm I'm always about the why, like digging deeper, 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 deeper. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? You know? Right. Yeah. No, it's, that's a, it's important stuff to do. And I think also with procrastination, sort of same kind of thing, people just, you know, fundamentally procrastinate on things that are most important or, or whatnot. And, uh, it's, it's a phenomenon. I think it's very interesting and I'm sure interviewing people and interviewing some of the most successful poker players, uh, I would be curious to know some, some sort of fundamental, uh, underlying themes. Is there some things you notice some of the characteristics of the best players in the world in poker that they have? Like, is there something that you've learned and that's been super interesting from over the years of, of, uh, talking with some of the more successful people? One thing, one thing that I pick up, one thing that I picked up is that, that there's, there's one thing about getting mass achieving mastery in poker, so you achieve mastery at poker. And then there's another thing, achieving mastery at poker while the world is watching you. Okay. So now I'm on live TV and streaming and everybody's going to watch every hand I play. But then there's another thing to sit down in front of somebody and talk about your life. So what I find with um, some high stakes poker players, like, and I would say a significant number, is there seems to be a poker mentality that I'm going to answer the the question wrong. So so I'm going to answer the question wrong which which is not plus EV or I'm going to answer the question wrong so that's the equivalent of making the wrong move from the big blind, right? So so there's a real reluctance then to go there, right? Now the really super I've got all my needs met within me growth mindset poker players, they're just super vulnerable, super comfortable and they, they're just okay to go there and be raw and to just talk about life the way it is, right? But at the highest stakes, that is unusual, right? It's unusual to find someone just be willing to just be open. So so in a, in a way, you have to go in there almost like a surgeon to be trying to pry open these defenses that are there, right? I've even had um, high-stakes poker players who don't want to talk to me about their life because they are worried that other poker players will use that to their advantage on the table. Mm-hmm. So if I tell you what books I read, someone is going to use that information against me, 
right? So there's there's that aspect of it as well. Um, the other thing that I that I see come up a lot is um, whenever I talk about mentors, like who are your mentors and who are the guiding lights, I'm always disappointed with the answer. <laughs> like I'm, I'm always disappointed with the answer. It's, it's it's almost like I don't know what it is. Whether it's a refusal to name the names, whether it's just I just did it on my own, but I, I've never really been blown away with those answers, right? You know, very often you get like um, with my dad, like or my mom, and I and I think to myself like we've just been talking about my life, and and we talk about like the railway, the Jack Canfield, the um, um, getting into writing, all the different people I meet along the way. And then we get into poker and we do all these different things. And I'm thinking there's so many people you meet and there's so, there's so much gold in terms of like, well, how did we go up a level? How did we go up a notch? And we all know in the classic hero's journey that there's a Gandalf somewhere. So I'm, I'm, always, I'm always kind of disappointed. I don't very often get really good answers to the Gandalf one, but I haven't, I haven't figured that one out yet, uh, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, that's it, really. I don't really – there's nothing really – different about interviewing Tom Dwan than there is about interviewing anybody else who plays like um, an, a Spock standard EPT. The only difference is you. It's, how, it's, it's, it's you will get in your own way. Right. So, so if you're like, Tom's a God, I can't believe I get this opportunity to interview him. I'm not worthy. Um, I better ask him the right question. I better not upset him. If you get into that mode, you're fucked, but you're fucked no matter who you're interviewing. But if you walk into there and you just say to myself, here's a guy who plays poker and he's really good at it and he's reached the peak of his game and I'm really good at what I do and I've reached the peak of my game. Like, and I, I, again, I have all my needs met. I love myself. I'm, I'm, um, I'm sure of what I do. I know I make mistakes. I'm cool with that. Then it doesn't matter who you're interviewing. You could interview Joe Biden, Donald Trump. It doesn't matter who you're interviewing right. because you have that confidence within yourself. For sure. And what is a, what is a question you like to typically, you mentioned about the mentors or any, some, some question you think is really interesting and in, in poker in particular, I mean, is that you're doing 99% or have you done interviews poker wise, or do you do some other interviews as well? Uh, other than poker or has it been, no, I have um, I have a podcast called 1000 days sober podcast. So we interview. Wow. Cause when you think about addiction, like for me, my viewpoint on addiction is everybody's an addict. It just depends what we're ad addicted to. Right. Um, and I believe that we exist within an addictive system. So life is an addictive system fueled by free market capitalism. Everything is driven by the need to have more, consume more, have more money, et cetera. Enough, yeah. yeah. So we're all like in this life of scarcity, not abundance. Right. So I interview everybody like from like, uh, you know, sexual empowerment coaches. The other day I interviewed like a, a, a dominant in, in the BDSM world and, and, and we got into like submission, um, but not in a sexual nature, but like using submission in addiction. So like I go across the board interviewing everybody uh, for me, like, the most important thing is to show the person watching that you're just having a conversation. Like you're just having a conversation. Um, and within that conversation, you have to be, um, you have to be willing to be vulnerable, I think. Right. Like if you're not willing to be vulnerable, then it's going to be really difficult for the other person to connect with you. So you really need to connect in some way. So, you know, like, like me leaving Triton in the future, for example, um, one reason that that's like minus EV for for Triton is the is the 
the time we've spent building that connection and trust with players, right? So, so I've sat down with Tom Duan now and interviewed him for an hour each time, uh, twice. I doubt there's anybody on the planet who's done that. So if I go to Tom and say, Tom, can I have an interview for 10 minutes? He's more likely to do that because we spent that time together. It's like, so building, building that trust up is, is like super important. Um, and you, you've got to be super, you have got to be really respectful of their time as well at that level because of, you know, the amount of money that's on the table and the concentration elements. It's a fine balance. You were there at try a million. Like we, we all want to get a, we all want to get time with a guy or we all want to get time with a girl. Right. But, but, but it's delicate. Like someone's just been knocked out of a million, million dollar tournament and you've got to fucking speak to them about it. You know, it, it's, it's not, it's not easy, but when all the dust settles, um, what I really like is when um, when uh, there's a mutual understanding between the media and the poker that they both have difficult jobs to do, and mm-hmm. and and the recognition when they're both trying to do their best to make it happen. So, out of, the, out of how many how many poker players would you say you've done interviews, like real interviews, not just like a five minute, like you know, a conversations of significance of a sit down. I don't know. If I wrote them all down, it's got to be over a hundred, right? Like. And what about on your podcast? There are the people in this in this thousand days sober. How uh, I've been I've been doing that for seven years, so hundreds, hundreds as well. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, and and so again, I do want to make sure we cover this. So I'm looking over here in the thousand days sober. So you know, it looks like you've got some editor. You have a, a team. I know you like. Can you talk me a little bit through now this business and what your what this means to you, and also how many people are involved in this process? So. Um... You know, when I stopped drinking in around 2007, 2008, it was the the way that I stopped is really important. Okay. So irrespective of what people think, and actually part of our program is, is, is focusing on extending your open mind. Right. So when I stopped smoking and when I stopped drinking, I learned to change my perspective on the perceived value that I was getting out of it. So if we say, for example, I was drinking, let's say I'm drinking um, alcohol, okay? So mm-hmm. we're drinking alcohol because we believe there's a perceived value, right? Like, otherwise we wouldn't drink it. Like, there's no point in drinking it. So I was, I was challenging myself and saying, well, what value do I get out of it? So I'll just give you a very simple example. Let's say I tell myself, that when I go out on a Saturday night with my mates, alcohol increases my um, enjoyment, okay? So I believed that for years without even thinking about it, which if you think 98% of our actions is automated, that makes sense. I don't want to think about it. My brain doesn't want to think about it. My brain just wants rules. I go into a pub, I buy alcohol. But if you if you just say to yourself, hang on, let's just, here's my belief and this is my perspective. Let's just look at it from here a second and see what comes out. So then I say to myself, here's my pint glass. So I'm with my mates and we're having a laugh. And then I have a drink and I think, how did that drink affect the laugh? Like, did that drink just improve that connection, that joke? Did my drink lessen it? Well, actually, it's, it's like starting out. It, it, it's a red herring. It, it does nothing. I might as well have a pen in my mouth. The connection is between me and Jeff. Me and Jeff have had the connection. We've talked about a memory and we've had a laugh and we've connected and we've had fun. 
And that's a memory has just been created, right? Now, the more you drink, do we become more connected or do we become more disconnected, right? Well, the belief that we've been designed from birth to believe is that we become more connected. So the other day I was on the beach in LA and this plane flew past with an alcohol advert streaming on the banner telling us that we will become more connected if we drink that alcohol. So our entire Netflix, cinema, everything that we do tells us that we become more connected. But if you really look at it and analyze it, that is not what's happening. What happens is we become disconnected because we become more self-centered, more egoic. We, we, we have mini blackouts. We can't remember what the fuck is going on. All right. We, we, we're going for a fucking toilet every two minutes. Typically, there's like loud music. You can't even hear anybody. Right. So all of a sudden, I'm thinking, wow, when I wake up in the morning with an hangover and I say to myself, I had a great night, but I can't remember half of it. The great night is before I got drunk. The only memory I have is before I got drunk. So then I'm like, fuck, how far can I push this? So I drink alcohol when I watch football in the house. Why do I drink alcohol when I watch football in the house? Like I have a ritual. Like I have my cans. No one's allowed in the room. I turn the telly up really loud. I get on the edge of my seat. I don't sit back. I shout and scream. And I drink all this alcohol. Why am I doing that? Like, is that increasing my like my, uh, my enjoyment. So then I realized that actually the more I drink, the less of the game I remember, the less intense action I consume. If I have somebody with me also drinking, I'm going to talk to him more than I'm watching the game. If I just get rid of the alcohol, I can relax on the settee. I can watch the game and I'm going to consume all of it. Then you think, what about when I watched Depeche Mode last week? Then you think, what about when I went to the theater? Then you think, what about my wedding? I can't remember half of my wedding. I can't remember any of my engagement. I can't remember hardly any of my birthdays, right? So when you learn that, Jeff, and you say, fuck, if I look through value through long-term lenses and not short-term instant gratification, which is what all addiction is about, this doesn't do anything for me other than just bad shit. So I'm going to stop it. So I stop it. I don't get any cravings because there's no value. And then I see my mom and my dad and my wife and my best friends, everybody I love doing the same thing. They're doing it, but they don't see it. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell them it and show them it because of something called the death effect. They don't see it. Like I didn't see it for 35 years, right? It, it, you can, I can have this conversation with you, Jeff, for an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours. And if you're a drinker, you can listen to me and go, oh, you make so much sense. And then go straight to the bar and order a pint. It's the death effect, right? So I was like, fuck, I got I to gotta help these people. How can I help them? So I'm like, I need to write about this. So I started blogging about it. Then I started the podcast. Then, I, then people were reaching out to me saying, help me. So then I'm like, fuck, um, this woman, Kareen McGowan, Single mother, Glasgow, not a fucking bean, no money, right? Three kids drinking herself to a fucking stupor every night. I'm like, wow, nobody paid me a fucking cent when I got into poker. I'm going to help her for nothing. But how do I help her? So then I'm like, okay, how did I quit? And then I'm like, how do I turn that into a program and a teachable method for her? So then I, I do it and she quits. And then what, the second person, Jeff, she didn't quit. So do you know what I did? 
I burned my program. I was like, I'm not good enough. I'm a fucking imposter. I can't do this, right? Like, but I kept writing. I kept, you know, doing the podcast interview. And it's really changed over the last three years. It's really changed over the last three years. I created a program. It's now called the Stride Method for Addiction. And I gave it to um, I gave it to people. What I did <laughs> was I went to high stakes poker players and said, will you buy these courses from me so I can give them to people? Because it was a for-profit. So some high stakes poker players gave me some money which was my income, which allowed me to give 20 people a shot at this program, you know? And then those 20 people became our tribe and we call ourselves Strive and Strivers. And then we rebranded a couple of times. We're now 1,000 Days Sober and it's really exciting. I'm doing lots of lots of one-on-one coaching with people, helping them quit alcohol, smoking, I've got another program called the Strive Method for Addiction uh, Relationships. So I'm helping uh, people um, sort their relationships out because there's a massive link between addictions and relationships. So what tends to happen is when you're working with someone on addiction, you're generally fixing a relational issue. And then when you're working with someone on a relational issue, you end up trying to fix their addiction. So we've got two programs. And then um, one um, high-stakes poker player who's really become interested in my work, he's He's talking to me at the moment about helping me to create an app because we have a goal of reaching a million people. So at the moment, like all of my focus and attention is on is on this, you know. So so if someone wants to go here, as I, as we see, there's the YouTube uh, created for one thousand days sober, and then also the, you know you have the Instagram page. Uh, what is, what would, what, how does it work if someone wants to, to, to sign up? What do they do? So if you go to that page, you show the website. Okay. So if you go to the website, there's a sales video there that people can watch, you know, and then just underneath it, there's a button to choose yourself call, right? So you will end up on a one-to-one call with me where I will listen to how alcohol, smoking, cigarettes, gambling is affecting you. Um, I will then understand what it is that you want out of life. And then I will propose a way that I can create that bridge between where you are now to where you want to be. And then we have to choose ourselves. That's why it's called a choose yourself course, right? So in the same way that in poker, I'll go up to someone and say, do you want me, do you want me to interview? And they're like, oh, it's fucking Lee. I don't want to interview him. I don't jive with that guy. It'll be the same with um, working with someone to help you through addiction. Um, but just to make it clear, like it's, it's not just me, right? So at the moment, I've got 15 coaches um, working for me in um, – or working with me in fields of like mindfulness, meditation, sexual empowerment, trauma, grief, health and wellness, nutrition, um, money mindset. And again, Jeff, like, like the way that we've created this is very similar to the way I came into poker. We're leveraging time. We're, you know, we're, we're helping each other out. We're scratching each other's back, but we all have a shared vision and that's to do good in the world, you know? So um, I was I was on a call this morning with a poker player, and as we were talking, and I was doing coaching with him, and he also has online access to our coaching program. So he does. He looks at all of the videos. He'll do homework assignments, and I'll check in with him on his homework assignments. When we was doing a coaching session this morning, you know, it was just it came apparent that he he needs to speak to our grief expert. So I'm like, okay, we'll get you a session in with your grief expert. I think she'll really help you. So he'll spend an hour with her now. 
Um, and then we will reconvene next time I see him. And how did that go? What are the next steps? So it takes a long time, you know, to get through an addiction. Most people out there, they want to cure you like in a month. Mm-hmm. That's why we, that's why we call ourselves 1000 days because that's 2.7 years. You know, I relapsed Jeff after three years, I went three years without drinking and I relapsed. So, you know, you've, you, you've got to, I don't subscribe to the AA theory that we're drunks forever or, or we're addicts forever, but, um, we do need to be vigilant and continuing to grow. It's not about the alcohol. It's not about the casino chips. It's not about the cigarettes. Like we do these things because we're very unhappy about who we are or how our life is. So we really help people to be happy. And once we're happy, we don't need this shit. right? Right. That makes makes a lot of sense. I do. There are a lot of questions. Uh, I definitely want to get some. I have a few more uh, myself before we do go over to Twitter. And I guess you you did say that you would try to answer those as well. If we don't get to all of them, and you guys yeah. still engage and win a ticket from Party Poker, we've got right there. You can see on on my. Uh, Twitter, so you guys can still get that in. There's still time, but let me just ask you a few things that I definitely uh, I, were very curious about. So you spent 20 years with the railroads. I want to know some parallels between poker and the railroads. Give me a couple things that you just feel like, wow, that's like scary similar. How what I was doing and what I what how poker relates or, or what sort of uh, yeah, what that means to you. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is like going up a stakes. So, you know, you, you, in the railway, my goal was to be the CEO. So, you know, whereas we're going like one, two, two, four, five, ten, whatever, uh, same on the railway. Like you always want to go up in stakes, right? You always want to, you want to go up in stakes and, and get higher and higher and higher. Um, the biggest difference between poker and the railway is poker allows you to earn as much money as you like, dependent on how good you are and how much time you put in the railway. Um, once you become a manager, you can only get more money when you get promoted. Mm. And the and then when you get promoted, you have more responsibility, you put more time in, right? So I always looked at that and I was like, I need to get out of this game. I need to get out of this gig. Um, and now, you know, with um, 1,000 Days Sober, we need to get into automation, right? So so there's that aspect of it as well. Um, great question. Though. I never thought of I never thought of it like that before, but those are a right. few. Great. Uh, that's uh, very interesting. Uh, what about with poker, you say you're less involved or less in tune maybe to what's going on or not. So just fully, fully integrated at all times. But where do you see online poker in five years? What sort of your gut tell you about the poker in the industry? Um, you know, Black Friday was a huge hit in a, in a big moment, but there's sort of signs that things are, you know, COVID's confusing, right? Because the numbers are sort of scattered everywhere. It's hard to know like what's real. You see these online operator numbers are up uh, everywhere, but kind of hard to know. You know, there's talk about solvers and real-time RTAs and all these different things going on. Uh, so do you think poker can last? Do you think five years from now, poker is going to be doing well live and online? I guess break it down by both because that's separate. It's, um, it's not something that I've ever spent time thinking about. Um, but I can tell you that from conversations with that I have with poker players, mostly high stakes poker players, is um, live will just go on forever and ever. Amen. And the problem around online poker becomes around the governance and the rules around cash games, mm-hmm. uh, particularly high stakes cash games. Heads up, in particular, it uh, looks like a, a dying breed. Uh, but tournaments seems to be uh, a pretty safe bet. So, and that's that feedback is all around AI and um, solvers and people using manipulative means to destroy games and that kind of stuff. So that's that's uh, all I got to say on that. Really, 
Yep. Okay. I, I, we're aligned there. Um, what was the things out of, out of in, uh, covering live poker events? Give me a couple things that you loved and a couple things that you did not like. I loved, I loved it when I had freedom and creative expression to be able to watch a hand um, to, to change Jeff Gross's life, be able to write it in a way that not only did he have the memory of that hand, but he, he was, it was, it was etched out in, in a way that he was almost poetic. He, I, I liked it when people came to me and said, thank you for the way you wrote that hand. Right. So that's, that's what I loved about live reporting, um, networking, um, getting to meet so many different people from so many different cultures, visiting so many different places. I, I came from Ogmore Vale that never went anywhere. And then I ended up all around the world, met my wife. So there's all that kind of stuff. Uh, things that I, don't like about it as much um, this status issue. Like, uh, I, although, I, although I suffered from low self-esteem, um, there is definitely a status issue in poker that I don't like. Um, uh, live tournaments, uh, moving around, it can be quite toxic, the energy. So, like, I'm an energy guy, so I like my energy to flow and I like my integrity to – it's aligned with energy. So sometimes I'd be in a place and – I don't know, the desperation aspect of, of poker sometimes and why like people get in not not upset that they lost like a professional footballer would in like in a game, right. but more about money. Like 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 how many times have I heard people, for example, say um, when I've been interviewing them behind the scenes, because nobody really likes talking about this, and, and this is like ubiquitous, right? Like my friend did, my my friend stitched me up. My fr- right. Like I hear that so much for so many millions, my friend, not like a stranger, my friend. So there's that element where I never really felt wholly comfortable. Um, and I absolutely hated asking people, you know, to help me out with their chip counts, asking people to let me know what happened in a hand that I missed. Like I, I hated interacting with people when they were playing and I still do. I don't like bugging people. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, yeah, that's, uh, those are definitely, I think all very valid points and, and definitely, uh, poker, I guess, you know, it's like anything, I think poker is such a metaphor for life. Really. I really, I just think it like, it's actually applies to so many different facets of, of life, different industries, jobs. And you can really apply like similar to golf. When you play poker with someone or play golf, you really get to know someone, you know, how they handle themselves mm-hmm. in losing, how they handle themselves when they have everything, when they have nothing, or, you know, all these type of things, how they, how they treat others, how they treat the staff. You see how they tip, you see how they treat the, you know, floor. Like you can just learn a lot about someone very quickly and, uh, and have, or have a pretty good idea of how someone is at, at there. So I think it, I think it's, uh, it's a great game. I, I same thing. I love content. I love doing other stuff as well, but poker to me will always be close to my heart, no matter what, no matter how much I'm playing or how involved I am. Uh, and I, and I also, you know, I see a lot of, a lot of really interesting questions here. So let's just, let's make sure, we do take some because go for it. Go for it. Here and again, Lee will try to answer some of these uh, as well. Um, if we don't get to them here, and then we'll do the giveaway. Uh, let's see. There is uh, okay. Here's the first one. Do you think poker could be used to help someone become or stay sober, or wouldn't just be feeding to addictive tendencies and ultimately fail? Uh, had a look at the site. Really love what you're doing. Keep up the wonderful work and I wish you success. So Craig Leonard there asking about, do you think poker is a good thing to kind of do this? Or do you think this is like a, just one of those addictive categories that may lead to a different addiction? I often, I often say to people that poker actually saved my life and helped me uh, because 
poker gave me something to do that had meaning and purpose that didn't involve drinking. So think about it, like when you're playing poker, the last thing you want to do is be pissed, right? You actually, you actually will tolerate people around you who are pissed because you're going to take money off them, you know? So there was that aspect, the ethical aspect of it. But whenever I saw someone at the table who was drunk, I was kind of happy, right? Like, because like, yeah, that's who I want to play against. So for me, one of the things that happens when you stop drinking alcohol is people don't understand you and people distance themselves from you because you hold a mirror up to what is possible for them. So being in a game of poker where you're surrounded by people and all of a sudden, like you have this kind of like shared love of a game, right? It's not, we're not there to drink. We're there to play this game. It's actually interesting you say that. You know, I did a, a one-year no, no alcohol challenge, which changed my life. Uh, Bill Perkins made me a, a bet. He saw I was drinking a lot. I was whatever, and and you know, I was like, all right, this is cool. But it was just funny to see because at this time, I think I was twenty-three or four, so sort of in like the prime party time of my life. Yeah. But seeing how people. It was like almost like I was I was like awkward, uncomfortable because like I didn't want to say I wasn't drinking, but like the the amount of people who were kind of judging at that time or would be like, oh, that's weird, or like you're not drinking, or like really, and 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 then like yeah, kind of as your point, it's almost like they're jealous in a way to like you know knowing it's not really the best thing for you, but they they're like want you to feel some type of way. It's a, it's a super interesting thing. And after that point, like I drink once in a while, but literally, you know, before I was going to to dinner and I would have like, you know, three or four you know, rum and Cokes or, or vodka sodas. And just like, as like a default, like I, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, now when I go to dinner, you order water and it's like nice and whatever. But like, I was ordering drink just to order it. Like just, yeah. and it's kind of like your point, like why, for what, what really thing is it? There's so many negative things. You just kind of an autopilot and you're just yeah. like, and I, you know, I think uh, that shaped my afterward. You know, I had some other really close friends kind of stop drinking as much. I drink very rarely. Um, and, and it was great, but it's just funny how you mentioned that. Cause it's so true. People like, yeah. they're like, it's like they're, they don't, you know, they see it in themselves. And they it's like drink. a, it's like a transfer. It's like a transference of shame. It's like, Many of what what people probably don't think about is the the reason we're able to drink a powerful one of the top five most powerful drugs in the world that kills more than three point three million people a year, which is more than war, murder, and terrorism combined. The reason we're able to do that is we silenced our cognitive dissonance in our teenage years. Mm. We were like this 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 battle between like should I drink or not? We were like. Some some people are like well I'm not going to drink because I love myself, and then others like me was like no I'm going to drink because I need to fit in. Right. So, so you silence it so much that you don't want that, you don't want that argument coming up again. So if someone comes to you when you're 24, 25 or 34, 35 and like, yeah, I don't drink. Life's great. It's like, okay, change the record. Like I got to change. I got to change this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like, my mom and dad had never, my mom and dad never taught me about what I do ever, 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 you know, as an example. Makes, makes perfect sense. Um, a quick, quick question here about the media. What do you, as being in the media, being such an intricate part of it in poker for so long, seeing this current day uh, situation with the election, for example, and all this fake news and like all these different stuff and all these different medias and outlets of media. And, and, and I don't know if you saw a social dilemma or not. No, not yet. I'm waiting for my wife to watch it with me. But Yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's, it's interesting. I, obviously I'm sure you'll, 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 take to it because it's, it's, it's it hits close to home, but what, what's your sort of take on this with social media and also just like with all the different news and, and kind of uh, poison and toxicity that seems to keep growing, just seems to kind of get more suffocating and negative. Like what's your kind of outlook on media in general? And, 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 and what do you think of this election? Kind of a two part question. I, I don't, um, I don't know if I'm going to answer the question, right? So just let me know if I don't, but um, whatever, you make, whatever it means to you that. What this, you I mean, 
like I, we, I need to preface this by saying I, I'm, I'm only in two worlds. I'm in the poker world. I'm in the addiction world, right? So when I, when I write something or share something about poker, um, no, sorry, when I write something or share something about addiction, you, you get a lot of love and a support and thank you for doing that, right? Because you're helping people. But, but when you do it in poker, you're still helping people, right? Like uh, this interview will go out, it will help people whether they, they learn something about getting into poker or whether they learn something about addiction. We're helping people. But when this goes out, somebody will write something negative about us, right? And, and not just a little bit. There'll be quite a lot of it, right? Something around, what is this fucking guy? Why do you have this guy on your fucking podcast? What, what is this to do with poker, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You look at the high and high stakes poker interviews, right? You could have a, one that is like pure gold and there'll be like negative comments. <clears throat> so for me, that aspect about social media, it allows people, it's like road rage. It allows people who haven't got the balls to confront somebody about something. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows them to take cheap shots. Uh, so I don't like that. And I've been, I've always tried to stay away from that in poker because I get into so many different um spats. So I'm not a I'm not a fan of it. In in the circles that I'm in now with addiction. Like, I mean, fuck, it's great. Like, you write something and you're saving someone's life. Like, nobody's nobody's saying to me when I put a podcast out, that's shit. Like, do you know what I mean? Actually, the the only time that I was getting it is like when something, like I interviewed Norm MacDonald, so it goes more mainstream, it goes outside of the addiction circle, then you get it, right. you know? Then you then you get it. Um, so there's that element of it. And then there's the, um, of course, like anybody can write now. So, so what does that mean for people who have spent 20, 30 years being trained to write? So I, I get a lot of shit on, on, in, in poker for, you know, being untrained, I guess, like not understanding, like some, some more trained people would be like, this guy hasn't got a fucking clue what he's doing, you know? So a lot of criticisms around that. So, you know, for me, like going into my feminine energy. I just want people to just be like, you know, whatever, like this guy's doing his shit. Just let him do his shit. It's not bothering me. Let him, let him do his thing. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's say, there's some great questions. Really. There is. Uh, I like uh, the, this part of the podcast always. And, and I do take a look before I want to, I want to take uh, this question from fatal bluff who said, who according to you would make the most, who has made the most significant contribution to the development of poker? Um, I guess don't take into account the players, which I'm not sure that was where you'd even go with it. But like out of all the, you know, different owners, CEOs, you know, names like Calvin Air, Rob Young, uh, Ishai Steinberg, who these type of personalities and people who started the major companies, is there any, is there any names that sort of stand out to you? Are you kind of just over your years heard so much praise? Maybe you don't even know them personally, but sort of what you, 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 you garner from everything that you feel has maybe made some of the bigger contributions to the industry. The names that come to mind immediately, um, Adam Pliska, WPT. So um, I look, I always look at the WPT as like a gateway drug to poker. Um, so I think Adam is got to be given a lot of credit for how many people he actually gets into poker yeah. and, and consistently over the years and the people who did the job before Adam, right? So definitely Adam. Uh, Paul Poir and his team at Triton, um, not just because I have worked with them, but they've 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 taken the thing that Alex Dreyfus was trying to do with Global Poker Index and like really sportify the game. Mm. It's got it's got to that point now where the 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 real guys who excel in the game we're now seeing them. 
we're seeing the Tom Dwans, we're seeing the Andrew Robles, these people you don't normally see. We're seeing Phil Ivey, right? And because of that, you will get more content with these people as a result of that. It, it won't be long before there is a one-hour interview with Phil Ivey. It won't. It will happen at some point, and when it does, it will be because of Paul, right? So, so that's really super important. Um, the other people who jump out at me is Phil Galfon. So uh, I think Phil Galfon, um, the work that he did at Blue Fire Poker, the work that he's doing at Run It Once, and let's just think about what he's doing running run it once poker like he he's not he phil phil made multi-millions playing poker he can still make multi-millions playing poker he doesn't need an online poker site to fill his bank balance there's mm-hmm. an aspect of it that he's doing it because he's a poker guy and he wants to give the poker community something different so i admire him for that and then the other one i would definitely say rob young like yeah. what i what i like about rob is he's, he's fresh as fuck. He's a guy at the top of the fucking food chain talking like he's at the bottom of the food chain. Sorry, Rob, I hope you get what I'm saying there. He just fucking tells you the truth. Right. So much so that you start to fucking wonder if there's a, there's a play here. There's no play. Right. It's just, well, he's, a, he's a working I'm- class lad. I love it. All the names you mentioned are have been on my podcast as well. So that yeah, boom, get in there. Podcast from from you know all of it. But yeah, no, those are three of the bigger names. Actually, Paul has not. Would love to have Paul, and I've had some really good conversations with them at at Triton and Andy, who you mentioned, who's a absolute legend, and again, kind of behind the scenes and just sort of makes things tick there too. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah, those guys you mentioned, I agree. Like those are those are just like a luckily very very good guys too. And those are it's nice to know because some of the older guys in, in, in a decade before or so that were the beginnings I can't really speak on. You know, I've heard Ishai Scheinberg, absolute legend and great guy and just so, so nice to everyone. Like I hear those type of things and, you know, some of the other uh, names in poker that are very passionate. And of course there's a, there's a ton, but those, the ones you mentioned, I think those are so, sort of like pillars and at least currently very hands-on active and, and uh, doing, you know, I think we're, that's, that's some of the reasons I think poker's in good hands yeah, for time yeah. to come yeah. with these type of guys that are uh, active and because yeah, they love it. You know, they actually love poker. It's not just yeah, like, yeah. Try to put some sites and, and take some, uh, you know, generate revenue, but they're, they're, they really do love it. Um, let's, uh, let's take a couple more here. Uh, what is besides poker? What is to you interesting to write about? What do you like enjoy the most? I, I like writing just about life, but I guess I like writing about the darker side of life. So I don't, do it as much these days as I used to. But when I first started my blog, when I was stopping drinking, writing about divorce, writing about loss, writing about tragedy, writing about vulnerability, um, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I kind I kind of like it when I can get creative. I've kind of lost the love of writing right now, but you know, um, like, um, uh, when I finish this, I'm going to be doing a biopic with, for Rui Cow. Um, and I'm not like, yeah, I'm going to do a biopic for Rui Cow. It's, it's kind of like, oh, I've got to do the biopic of Rui Cow, you know. But um, create creative writing and getting into emotions and depth of humanity, I guess. Very, very interesting. Yeah, that's. Uh, I would. I, I. I think that you know, some seeing something here. Mike Sexton actually. We just saw a Ghost of M Marco, who's one of my lead moderator 
on Twitch. He, he just wrote us saying, don't, don't forget about Mike Sexton, who you know, obviously passed away this year. It's crazy. I had him on my podcast during COVID. Didn't, you know, seem very good spirits and healthy. And then shortly after, you know, his health deteriorated quickly and unfortunately passed away. Uh, how, how, did you get to have much experience with Mike? Had you talked to him a bunch? Did you know? Yeah, him? Mike, Mike, Mike always reminded me of Vince McMahon from the wrestling. Every time I saw him and the way that he walked and everything, it always reminded me of my youngster days. What I liked about Mike is every time you wanted to interview him, he would just sit down and talk to you, you know? And um, like when I was talking earlier on about status, you know, like uh, the status exists, like, and you're right to, you're right to say this, you know, let's put this in perspective. Status exists wherever you are. Like if you work in a hospital, there's going to be status, right? But Mike was never about that. You know, it didn't matter what you did, you know, he, he was always there for you. So yeah, he's a great man. Yeah, he really. I mean, in terms of saying the ambassador for the game, I don't think they're there. You really could argue there's anyone better. Like he exactly like Rob even was telling stories where he would literally make them make late sometimes going to like on an airport or somewhere or at a stop. He would stop, talk to everyone, you know, yeah. give a picture for everyone. He genuinely would just enjoyed it and, and wasn't. Yeah, he uh, loved it. It's a great guy. Um, so rest in peace to Mike. Uh, all right, let's let's take one more here because I really like. Well, actually, give me a quickly a hobby interest. Any hobbies, interests you like to do, sports or, or stuff that you do when you when you have some downtime? Ah, I spend all of my time building this business, <laughs> literally. So the only when I have downtime, I just hang out with my kids and my wife. Very nice. And all right, here's I like this question. The first thing that you ever wrote and felt accomplished from you did talk about some early stuff with Bluff, writing some articles. Was there one piece though that like you know the one you bought fifty of? You were so happy you had it, but like, was there one that you actually like later on or something that like out of all the pieces and works you've done that you're just so proud of, like just how it came out, the story it conveyed, feedback you got? One thing that what would be something that you would just say is your like signature piece or one of them? The, the thing, the thing that I remember the most um, that comes to mind is. Not to do with poker. I was in the Blue Fire poker community at the time. So I had a blog. It was called God the Chinks that Can Moan. So it was all about me complaining about life. And I wrote a piece called The Matrix. Mm. And it was about drinking alcohol and how I was in the Matrix and I wasn't in the Matrix. And I wrote that and I got a lot of um a lot of people thanking me from for writing it. And it was about about then that I I, I realized that oh actually I can I can change I can change a, a life by writing like I can really influence someone to change and now with podcasts like I I get so many people coming on saying I stopped drinking because your podcast it still blows my mind because I'm like oh I got a fucking course what do you mean you stopped drinking alcohol just because of the podcast right. so so there's that in poker um, I can't think of anything in particular that I've written um, that I am high stakes poker. Um, interviews obviously because there is like most of my best work i think yeah that's uh that would that, that would be my that makes a lot of sense and those are pretty cool that series and that sort of uh way of going about it so mm. awesome um all right give me your favorite book favorite movie and then we'll take this giveaway here favorite movie i would say there's so many for so many different reasons but I would say the one that sticks in my mind is uh, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. So that was the one that kind of got me the most. I haven't yeah. seen that series, which is sad. I should go dive through there and then see yeah. the rings. Uh, because it was at the end of a trilogy, you know, it's like dying in the cinema and everything. That was, that was pretty cool. Uh, have you seen Queen's Gambit or any shows that any recent? No, no. The, um, oh, I did watch an amazing movie the other day called Over the Moon, which okay. is a kids, which is a kids movie. But um, it's just brilliantly done. So I would urge people to watch that on Netflix. And oh, my octopus teacher I just watched, which just made me cry. And 
put me in touch with um, nature and animals and stuff. That was pretty great. In terms of like TV shows, Game of Thrones, yeah, Breaking Bad, that kind of stuff. Queen's Gambit. It's like seven episodes. I've seen four. I'm going to knock the last three out. It's a treat. It's very cool. And I could see it being, you know, it's too bad they didn't do poker. They haven't done something like this because this format I think would be really cool. How they, how right. they great actress. This I'll stuff. definitely check. Yeah. Je- um, Jennifer Shahadi. Uh, we was tweeting about it because I was on her podcast recently. So I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, that's uh, definitely, definitely one. You know, I, have you seen, do uh, you remember Karate Kid? Did you ever see that? Yeah, you talked about Cobra Kai. Yeah, it's funny because it's, it's kind of corny, but like the fact that they got these like from, I don't know how long that was, 30 years ago or 25 years ago. Got them all back together. And they put them together and they made this thing. Like I found my brother-in-law watching it. And then I like was like, no way, this is like, and then I looked at it and I watched a couple. And then like the next thing I know, my wife and I were like, watching a ton of it but uh, i i actually think so this is my idea for poker tell me tell me if i'm crazy uh rounders like you, there's been talk about rounders too right like all right let's get the movie or bring up what about like a show what about like getting it making it like a rounders like a show like cobra kai you take the same characters or at least get the main couple you insert them into like a vegas grind you're going around like that it's almost like queen's gambit in that sense where you're like going around going to the tournaments at different stops showing like them as like a real day modern situation because poker then was like you know, this is like before the moneymaker boom, right? Or it was like mm. around the time. So it was like kind of like there wasn't really, and now it's like their poker's like, it just seems like an easy kind of show. Like it'd be easy to make a show around, like, you know, uh, I put Matt Damon on Netflix with uh, Edward Norton. And I mean, just let him go to work on it. I on had, a- um, I had an, I like, so I'll share this one now because it's, it's off my bucket list, right? But uh, when I was writing the Ogmo Poker Tour, like I was thinking that really I'm turning up to this one place every week with the same people around a table. It's sitcom. Like it's fucking classic sitcom, right? Yeah. So, you know, I thought if I gave this to Ricky Gervais, he would turn this into like a like a an office style with that kind of like that humor that mm-hmm. not a lot of people get if they're not in the UK. Right. Um, but I definitely thought that there there was room for like a poker sitcom for sure. You know, and I and I like not the professional side of it. I like the underground side of it. the gas fitters, the welders, the 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 wedding dress makers who were who were who were losing and winning more than the rune in a month, and they're right. not telling their wife. That's the that's the part of poker that I love, right? I, I just I just think that that sort of like that because I think like a movie would be I don't know like these series. It just seems like that format would Cobra Kai would be like. Yeah, so- I think it'd be great. Yeah. To uh, you know, like show them in exactly, you know, run around, ba- live in Vegas. They take some trips. Like you could do like episodes around stops. You could you know get sponsors from the sites. Like go to the Bahamas, go to you know go to the Kings Casino, and like put them into like a real you know enter them. They could actually even play the tournament. You know, you could like yeah. a, a show about the the run if one of them actually made a run or whatever. You know, like there's just endless things. Yeah, you know, they they divert off into Europe. They go to Kings, and now next thing you know, they're in a private game and you know, some other country or they're at Leon's house or they're, you know, who do knows? it, Jeff, do it. I mean, I'm, I, I just like that movie just sparked that idea. And I, I've heard talks that the, it was going to come about the second rounders or this or that, but I just, you know, get older, Bill, get older, you mate, Bill, like, uh, you know, he is his hobby. That's a, you know, I think, uh, I, yeah, that's a good idea. I think it could happen. So uh, l- let's see, let's be hopeful. Um, all right. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Lee. I think we covered a lot. If you guys, no, uh, the, the website here, you can go and see a thousand days sober.com. There's also an Instagram page for content. 
thousand days sober. And then you actually have also uh, the looks like a, a growing YouTube channel here as well with some content and, and a, a you know video, basically trailer explaining about the course. So very, very cool. It sounds like an amazing project you got going. I'm, I'm really uh, it's, it's interesting. I think the, the key thing there about addiction, you know, whether it is whatever it is, people just we are addicted to things. And then, you know, it's like drugs, alcohol gambling are like the three, maybe, you know, a few others you could throw in there that are at the top of the food chain, but really you know, people are addicted to, to different things and finding balance in life is so important. It's easier said than done. And it sounds like you're, uh, you're, you're working to, to, to hit these big goals. I'll that. give a, I'll give a, I'll give a, I'll give a, an insight before I leave. So I recently did some research with high stakes poker players to say, Hey, I want to get into poker and I want to really help people to quit their addictions. How do I get in there? And the feedback that I got back, quite overwhelming actually, is the biggest addiction that's in poker is people not accepting that they can't make it, mm. and um, and and a real strong denial that anybody has a problem with anything. So they, they they were the two things that I wanted to share. So if you're listening to this, just really ask yourself, you know, what am I doing? Can I really make it? Am I as good as I think I am? And the other question is, do I really have an issue or a problem that I'm trying to say isn't a problem. So that, that's what came out of my research when I was talking to high stakes poker players. It's really interesting. Very, 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 very spot on. And, and I think that's, uh, yeah, I think that's something that's a good question to, uh, to start with. Well, let's give a, again, $55 ticket here. We're going to give away courtesy of party poker and Lee on his count. He's going to go ahead, tell me when, if you guys did ask a question, there's a lot of great ones. We covered some, there's more and you know, he will try to get to those. I think he's going to, I will get to them all. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I love it. So I appreciate that. And you tell me when someone's won this $55 ticket. Okay, stop. Boom. There it is. Loading up. A lot of questions, a lot of engagement. Definitely super interesting. And, and I think, uh, you know, I hope you guys get a chance to check out the website, check out Lee's stuff. And, and I hope uh, we get to see some live stops soon. When do you think the next live tournament is? What's over under? <laughs> what, for Triton or anyone? Anyone, but let's do both. Triton and then against the field. Spring. Springtime. Okay. Uh, all right. There we go. We got the winner, the one you love to be. Uh, he has got, looks like he likes to travel, likes adventure. We're going to send him the $55 ticket. And uh, I appreciate the time. I really do. This has been a treat. I, I appreciate getting to, to know you better and hopefully get to do on a high stakes on one of the stops and we get to cross paths again soon in, in 2021 when the world gets back to uh, some order. It's a little chaotic at the moment. So. Brilliant. We'll Thanks see. for having me, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Lee, thank you so much, guys. Again, this is podcast number 102. Lee Davey, follow him across the different platforms. This will be out on all the different podcast outlets, and you can watch the replay with the video, of course, on YouTube here. So thanks to Lee, and uh, best of luck with the 1,000 Days Sober and all your other adventures, and uh, enjoy your time with your family, and, and uh, keep the balance in order. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Cheers, Lee. Have a good one. All right, guys, we got big podcast next week. I will give you some of that in the schedule on Monday, and there's big action on Party Poker on stream this Sunday. Uh, plenty more coming, and a big surprise actually Saturday, which I think is getting announced tomorrow. So you guys want to stay tuned and got a very special event coming up. Uh, we'll, we'll check the socials on that. So again, thank you guys. Enjoyed a lot with Lee, and I hope you did as well. We'll see you guys very soon. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.